A couple months ago, I had this like this uneasy restlessness in my, you know, just like about life in general. And, and, you know, I'm always kind of uneasy and restless about church stuff. And, you know, as a pastor, I think that's my job, but, but just in, in life in general, man, I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm just, just like, Oh, you know, what's going on What God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do? I, I have, I really have no idea. And so I spent a lot of time in prayer and, you know, when you pray, sometimes you get like nothing. There's like no answering. God's like, you're like, uh, hello, member present all my cares to you in prayer and it's, hello, God. And so it was just this time of, not that it was like dry, not that I felt distant from God, but I was asking for specific stuff and yeah, he wasn't coming through. So at least not the way I expected. So last week I was on vacation, right? And, and um, I was able to read uh, a couple books during that week and it was the answer to my prayer. What I found in these two um, books that I read was exactly what I was wrestling with. It was exactly, I was like, that's it. And, and, and it put picture and it put legs to and it put, it put a reality to what I couldn't describe what I was going through in my own mind and in my own heart and, and why I felt a little bit restless. And so what I want to do this morning is just kind of share that with you. Now, here's the thing. This is probably not like a, a typical sermon because we're not going to read any Bible verses. I mean, I'm going to talk about Jesus, so I guess maybe that makes it a sermon. But in the classic sense, what we're used to, like we're going line by line through the Bible and we're trying to figure it out, it's not going to be that way. I'm just, this is just me kind of chatting with you what God was doing with me, and I, and I believe what God wants to do with us as individuals and us as a church. And so if, if you're looking for deep, exegetical insight into the Bible, you ain't getting none. That's, that's next week. We're going to talk about when Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, a yeah, very easy text and maybe not such a good one for morning time, but we're going there anyway. And, and, but, but this week is just, just I, want, I want to just kind of share with you what God has been doing with me over the last few months. And, and hopefully this begins to, to even point us in the direction that, that I believe we should go in this year. So let's start with, I'm going to pray, and then we'll start with what I'm going to say. God, we, we gather this morning in your name, in the name of Jesus. Um, thank you for that gift. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of your word. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so let's start off with a question. How many of you here like to watch movies, whether it be TV, rent, DVDs? You got most people you like? Okay, just shout out some of your favorite movies. Like, not, not like ones you thought were good, but like the favorite movies. Anybody? Okay. Avatar, okay. What makes Avatar your favorite movie? The effects, okay. Special effects? The Incredibles, why? <laughs> Come on, man. I need a little more than that. <laughs> okay, so we got two fantasy world guys here. Anybody, <laughs> anybody like a movie in reality, maybe? Die Hard, why? So there's like a big conflict thing going on. Brucey e. Willis. Wait. Dark Knight, Why? Why? 
So for those of you who didn't hear this incredible insight, he's just one man. He's just Batman. <laughs> All right, so I don't know what to do with that. All right, anybody else? <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Why? So it's, it's, there's a relatability thing there. So conflict comes back again. I think Batman's a little conflict too, right? Anybody, anybody else? With who? The express. Why? True story. What's it about? So as he was dying. Okay, conflict again. All right, anybody else? What about Bob? <laughs> yeah, what about Bob? <laughs> okay, so is, is that so that what made it favorite movie for you? Bill Murray makes your phobia is hysterical. <laughs> oh, so it was funny. So you you were able to check out a little bit, laugh. Who? You're with her. What about Bob? Right. One more. Kim. On Golden Ponds. Help me. Okay. Why? Well, it, it's kind of true because Bane and Wes, you had your hand up. It went up. What you, signs. Freaky people. Do you not apply that? What? Why? What made it good? Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's deep. Anybody like to read? Like books? Throw out some favorite authors. Who? Tolkien. Is that Batman, dude? No, that's Lord of the Rings. Okay. What what makes he so you like why do you like him? Great author. Man a few words there. <laughs> A couple other authors. Who? Who's that? What what did he write? He wrote everything? <laughs> Guy, do novels, do novels. And what do you like about him? He takes the time. So character development is important in his books. Nice. One more book, Tim. Who? Okay, why? Liz, you had your hand up too.
That was a good book. I read that. I'd highly recommend that. What's very interesting is people who enjoy reading books, watching movies, um, they do so because there are certain elements of story that run consistent throughout good stories. Um, it doesn't matter if you're watching a drama, a sci-fi, chick flick, whatever it is. There's certain elements of a good story that we all latch onto: character development, a storyline, conflict. Conflict seems to be a big one. There has to be conflict in a story to make a story actually worth watching. And you know, sitcoms, half-hour sitcoms, which are only really about 20 minutes, because if you TiVo it and fast-forward it, you're done in 20 minutes. Um, they have all the elements of story. Remember, remember the Cosby Show. Remember that show? So in 20 minutes, there's the intro, there's some family conflict that happens, and at the end, it's resolved. And the children love their parents even more because they've opened the deeper truths to life to them in a matter of 20 minutes. Oh, if life were like the Huxtables, wouldn't it be nice? But but so so even in a 20-minute TV show, there are the same elements of story. Some of them, many of them are just universal and we're, and we're attracted to them as people. There was a show on, on um, sci-fi called Battlestar Galactica. And there was a group of people here that, that liked that show so much. They had the, like the, no, but I would if I watched it, but they, they had one of the top rated podcasts on iTunes because they would watch that story and discuss it character, storyline, how things are developing. And, and they, they put it on iTunes and like people actually listen to that. And, 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 so, and so we all like a good story. And we all like to sometimes talk about the elements of the story, why we liked it, what makes it good for us, why we're attracted to it. And many of those things are universal across the board. Conflict is a big one. Character development. Sometimes you just want to check out and laugh a little bit. So there's got to be something funny about it. And so we, as humans, like a story, whether a good story, whether, whether we're watching it, whether we're reading it, whether we're hearing about it, we like to live sometimes vicariously through the life of someone else. It gives us an opportunity to check out from our reality and enter into some fantasy. And many times we can actually learn from somebody else's stories, from a book we've read, from a movie we watch. We can glean insight into our life. We can, we can maybe engage life on a little different plane, on a little different level, because we've actually learned something. We've connected with it somehow. Stories are very, very powerful that way. In, in May or June of 2008, when, when there was a small group of us, we were um, planning and we're praying through starting our, our church, Oasis. And um, we, we got on so many different rabbit trails when we were talking, but the, the, the discussion got to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And I was like, yeah, I never saw that movie. You know, it's black and white. Nobody dies. Nobody blows up. I mean, how good could it really be? Well, well, there was a group of people in that small group who took mild offense to, to, my, to my belligerent statements that it wasn't such a good movie. And, and so they, they proceeded to heighten my sense of education in the context of what the story was about, that it was a really good story, and that maybe before judging it, because I had never seen it, I saw bits and pieces you click through, oh, black and white, yeah, next, and, and you would just go to so somebody was dying or, or something was blowing up. That's just me. And, and, and I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. And this is like in May or June 2008, and Amy had a copy of It's a Wonderful Life, still in the wrapper. She didn't even open it. And so she gives it to me. <laughs> 
And it's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's the uncut version, so there's extra stuff in there. You know, it's not the one. And so I take it home, and in December of 2009, I finally watched it. So it only took like a year and a half, but I reluctantly, I decided because it was Christmas again, and some dialogue started to go around about this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, I figured, well, let me put it in, let, let, let me watch it. And so Sandy, I've come to find out, little did I know, she loves this movie. I'm like, cool. So we plop down on the couch. We, we throw it in the video thing. And 15 minutes in, she's sound asleep. But, but not, that's not a reflection on the movie. That's just her MO. 15 minutes in the movie, she falls asleep. She wakes up at the end. She wants me to describe everything that happened in the movie. And I don't know if any of you else feel that or have that experience. But, but so, so she falls asleep. She wakes up at the end. She goes, wow, that was a really long movie. I was like, and, and I'm sitting there like crying like a baby. I'm like... Uh, you know, I'm like, I can't believe it. it's black and white, man. Nobody died in this movie. Nobody got like shot. But what I found that I connected so much with this character, George, like, like the desire for your life to mean something and like going through life and having these dreams and then seemingly they just all fall apart and you think your life is just falling apart with it and you're not making a difference. And I think everybody wants to make a difference in their life. And then, and then at the end, when, 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 he, when it's just everybody is coming at him and just giving him stuff, man, I was just like, you know, I'm just trying to be tough, you know, pillow in the face like this, and it's leaking all over, you know. I don't want her to wake up and see it, so I'm so far, I'm so good. I was good. But, but there, there, was, there, was, there was power for me in that story because, because it, it was, I admit, it was a good story. It was a good movie, and I was able to connect, and I was able to understand, and I was able to realize that maybe from a black and white movie, no less, that maybe our lives mean more to other people than we actually see. And so I got to thinking about this idea of, of movies and stories. What if somebody came up to you and said, for the next year, we want to follow you around with a camera and a crew, and we want to film your life. We want to tell your life story. I wonder, I wonder would our stories make a good movie? Or at the end of it, the director would be like, we got to do some editing. We've got to add some stuff. Would, would they have to take creative license? Maybe, maybe shoot some scripted scenes where something maybe partially exciting might have happened to you sometime or along the line. Would our lives really be a good story? See, most of us, um, we love we love a good story. We love to, to engage it and to watch it or to read it or whatever, to listen to it. You know, a, a story of the human, um, the human condition where somebody overcomes. We love that. But you know what? I think, you know what? I found that many of us, we don't live such a good story. We don't live, um, it's, for, for many of us, and many times I found in my life, our story is kind of boring sometimes. If somebody followed us around, our life would not make a very exciting story. It's very easy and comfortable for us. We like to watch somebody else involved in conflict and overcoming. We like to watch somebody else being transformed or developed as a character. We like to see somebody else take the risks. We like to, it, it, let's admit it. We, we like to observe because observing is safe. Observing isn't messy. It's very clean. We can stay disengaged and just watch somebody else. We really enjoy to live vicariously through the lives of other people. 
But then I started to think, okay, is this really fair? Is it really fair to compare life, our life, everyday life with, with Hollywood life? I mean, they can write stuff in. They can write stuff out. They have special effects, you, you know, Avatar, all that. They can do really cool things. They can script the very end of the movie. They can decide how this is going to come out in the end, how it's going to work out. And we, we don't have that in our own lives. We have, we have life, and it ebbs, and it flows, and it throws us twists and turns and curveballs. And sometimes we have no idea, and things don't work out the way that we planned. But, but doesn't that all make for a better story? Everybody see the movie The Sixth Sense? Did the ending of that movie freak you out or what? I had no idea. Never saw it? I'm not going to ruin it for you. Watch it. It was so unpredictable. Because sometimes predictability is boring. You ever turn on a movie and five minutes in, you know how it's going to end. You're just like, this is... You watched one about, I don't even remember what it was, but it was probably one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. And I knew, I was like... I know how this is going to end, and guess what? It ended exactly the way that I thought it was going to end. It was very, very predictable. Here's the thing. All the elements of a good story that Hollywood has, we have at our disposal every day in our lives. And I believe that we have just been lulled into believing that we have no control over our life and that we have to live some boring, boring story. Or maybe, maybe we've just gotten way too busy with stuff that just doesn't really matter. And we just move on through life. We are not at the mercy of life. Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it in abundance. Is that a lie? Is that something? I mean, how many of you said, yeah, but look at my life. It's not a lie. Jesus said he had come to give life and give it in abundance. And here's a hard truth that I came to. If my life is boring, if my life is unfulfilling, if it's status quo, the only person I have to blame is me. I'm the only one that I have to blame for my life. I have decided to live the life that I am living right now. Now, listen, I'm not talking about when, when, when twists and turns come and, and I'm not talking about um, when, when hard things happen. I'm talking about the way we engage, the way we engage our life. Do we just sit there and watch or do we become engaged in it? We can write a better story. We can write a story of transformation in our lives. We can write a better story of passion and excitement in our own lives. We can be the developing character that we like to watch in a movie or read in a book. That could be us. We can write a better story. You know what's interesting? If conflict makes a story so much better and so much more interesting, why do we tend to run from it? Why do we tend to shy away from it instead of hitting it head on? We can write a better story with our lives. And this was my angst. This was what just was unsettling to me. I was like, what's going on? I want to write a better story. But, but there's this, I think there's this in, inherent problem that we have. Um, when we watch a movie, when we read a book, it always seems a lot of the times that in the end, it, it kind of works out, right? And it might not work out the way we had planned or the way we thought it would. And it might not work out like 100%. 
Yahoo, but in the end, somewhere, there's some, some resolution, you know, the classic right off into the sunset. And you know what I found? Um, life doesn't work that way. Life, life doesn't work for us that way. You, you know, I don't believe that everything will be resolved in our life while we're here on earth. Now, we do have like many victories in, in, in our story, you know, times when, when we do hit the mountaintop or, or things go the way we had planned. But uh, one of the books I read by D- uh, Donald Miller, he said that these are just sub-stories in the greater human story that we find ourselves in. We are never going to get back to the garden. And because of that, because we're fearful of things not working out the way we planned, sometimes we just sit back and watch instead of getting involved. Now, what I'm about to say might get me in a little trouble, but that's okay. I've been in trouble before. So just, so just bear with me. Jesus is not going to solve all of your problems. Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is not going to make sure that no conflict, no problems, no issues ever come your way. In fact, I would say that many times it seems like Jesus, he doesn't supernaturally get involved and solve very many problems. Yes, there are times where he steps in and it's only by the grace of God that that something happens and we call those miracles. But Jesus isn't going to protect you from all of your problems. And, And this is how I know. How many in this room would consider themselves to be, wherever you are on this journey of faith, followers of Jesus? And you can raise your hand. And if your hand's not up, we have some Kool-Aid for you to drink afterwards, and we'll get you there. No, I'm only kidding. So, <laughs> so, now, how many of you that had your hands up, how many of you have no problems, no issues, no concerns, no conflicts? And how many of you within, if you've ever had one or two of those, they've worked out perfectly just like you had planned it to work out? Anybody? Come on, Somebody? Thank you, Charlie. We have one Christian in the group. (laughs) See, either you're all not Jesus followers or Jesus isn't going to take away all of the the conflict and the issues and and the junk in our lives. We live in a broken world, man, and it's going to happen. He will strengthen you through those things. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. He will give us discernment on how better to engage and to move through them. He will show us how that that we can still love in the context of of things that seem to be falling apart. But he doesn't solve or keep us safe. And if we can come to the place of understanding that Jesus is not the keeper of all bad things from happening to you, I believe that we can begin to enter into a more real relationship, a deeper relationship with him. And when we enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus, it's then that we begin to write a better story, that we can begin to not be afraid that if it doesn't work out, whatever will happen, but our lives can actually stand for something, that it can mean something, that we would enter into risk, that we would enter into pressure, that we would not fear stress. You know, a certain amount of a stress in your life is a good thing. 
It's kind of like a guitar, right? The strings on a guitar, they're, they're under stress. They have tension. And if there's not enough tension, if there's not enough stress, the, the sound is flat and it's ugly. And if there's too much tension and if there's too much stress, it's sharp and it's ready to pop. But just enough stress on those strings and you make music. And so stress is not necessarily always a bad thing. And so when we can come to the place of understanding that, that this is what our life is about, we don't have to be afraid anymore, and we can begin to write a story that is worth living, a story that is worth telling. I have a friend who is a, a very talented writer, and uh, in fact, she's won competitions for her, for her stories, for her short stories. Now, I'm not going to mention Liz's name because I don't want to embarrass her, but, but she has entered in and she's written many, many stories. And I asked her, I sent her an email, I said, what makes a good story a good story? What are the elements that you use, especially in the stories that, that you've uh, won competitions with? And so she wrote me back an email and she kind of described a little bit of her process and she goes through this very organic process. And I was interested in some of the ideas that she threw out were like the characters write their own story, which is very foreign to me because I'm not a writer, but it, but it was interesting. And then in the middle of her email, she wrote this. And this is what I want to share for you. I'm going to read it verbatim. She writes, my successful stories have had strong characters, strong meaning clearly different and definable, not mighty with an identifiable problem that haunts lots of folks, regret, depression, denial, snafuitis. If I can get them from this problem through the process, whether it is resolved or not, I have succeeded. If you don't at least try to follow through, there is no story. The main character has to try. Passivity is ugly and useless in a main character. They have to be the story not just watch events go by. How many of us, we are all the main character in our story. And how many of us have problems that we deal with every day? I'm not sure anybody here with snafuitis. I'm not quite sure what that is, but that's okay because, because we all go through stuff in our lives. But how many of us have just given up from trying? How many of us just, just don't engage anymore? How many of us just kind of, uh, just kind of watch the events go by? Instead of being the story, we go through our days all out busy, get to the end, we're tired out, and we look back, man, we haven't accomplished a thing. Or we go through our days and, and, we, and we just hold our head down and we push through and all we want to do is survive. All we want to do is get to the end. And, and we don't take time for family and friends and relationships and, and to do things. We don't take time for our faith. We don't take time to engage God. We just want to survive. We live and we hope for the best. We do not have to be at the mercy of life. We don't have to watch it pass by us. We can begin to write a better story. A better story for our individual lives, a better story for our church, a better story for the kingdom of God. So what's it all look like? I mean, how does this all play out? And, you know, I'm not a big, here's the easy steps to writing a better story, so I don't have any, but I want to give you at least two principles just to kind of to hang on to and maybe think about a little bit. Two, two ideas. I believe that a better story for our lives 
has to do with our relationships. We all have relationships. We all are involved in relationships. Some of us do relationships really good. Some of us don't do relationships very good. Some of us have good relationships. Some of us have, don't have good relationships. Some of us are kind of right in the middle of where our relationships should be or where we want them to be. But, but the human condition, we are all in relation to many, many people. And in our church worlds, we should be in relationship with each other. On, on very different, uh, all kinds of different levels. You don't have to be lovey-dovey with everybody, but we are all part of a body here, and we should be in relationship with each other. Now, in Romans chapter 12, there's this uh, one little verse that says that we would outdo one another above ourselves. And in another tran- translation, it says, that it says the same thing uh, a little differently. To outdo one another in showing honor. That just makes me feel good inside. I'm just like, yeah. It's a really feel-good kind of Christianese thing. I'm going to outdo showing honor to you. But what's, it, what's that really look like in the context of, of our community here? Let me give you a few examples. And this isn't an exhaustive list. This is just some of the, the main things that I have seen take place where people want to outdo one another in showing honor. About a week before Christmas Eve, I called Tim and Ashley Brzezinski because they're they oversee our children's ministry. They're heads of our children's ministry. And I said, hey, we need nursery for Christmas Eve. Uh, just in case we get some kids, we have to have stuff set downstairs. We have to have, you know, something to watch little little kids. And uh, they were part of the service, so they couldn't do it. And so they called Debbie Eccles. Hey, Debbie, um, you know, would you do Christmas Eve service? Uh, be downstairs in the nursery, watch the kids. Without hesitation, Debbie said, sure, I will. She was willing to give up her Christmas Eve service so that she could watch kids downstairs. That's what it looks like to outdo one another in honor. Amy, Liz, Monica, they come up here and they, and they sing on the worship team to make me sound a whole lot better than I, than I am. And believe me, it's not easy to sing with me. I forget where I'm going. I forget where I am. Sometimes I can't find the right, the key, and I have to yell at them to start singing because I'm totally lost but they serve our community. It's an example of outdoing one another in honor. A few months into our church, Ed Smith decided that that we need a children's ministry. And he did all of this legwork to get this thing off the ground, to make a schedule to recruit people that we could have children's church downstairs. And then it came to a point in his life where he just could not invest the time that he believed that he should do, uh, that, that that it really needed. And unselfishly, he gave away his, his baby to Tim and Ashley who stepped up and took the ball and ran with it. It's an example of outdoing one another in honor. Bonnie and Tim and Ashley and Debbie and Sandy and Anna all work in our children's ministry downstairs. They, they give up time up here so they can serve kids. And believe me, at this point, my son does not appreciate it. I'm just being straight up honest with you. Showing, outdoing one another in honor. Wes, raise your hand. Have you ever seen that man sit anywhere else in this church? (laughs) Ever. You haven't. In fact, he has missed less church than I have, and I'm the pastor. Every week, I send him the worship set. Every week, he records our sermons. Every week, he's trying to figure out where I'm going with the words. He doesn't even like music. (laughs) 
but every week. And it's, this is how he outdoes one another in honor. Mark and Jaron, who run the soundboard every week to make sure that we have good sound. Anna, who does the books, who takes every one of your checks and logs it in to make sure that, that you get credit for it, that runs our reports, that figures out the budgets. She is outdoing one another in honor. And now Don and John, who set up the Grange. Guess what? The Grange doesn't get set up by itself, believe it or not. There's people that do it. And the people like Doug and, 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 um, and Jared, who, who break, or part of the group who break down, and Kent, who break down and, and close it all up. They are outdoing one another in honor. That's what it looks like in a church, that they would serve the community. They don't get paid. Not a dime. In fact, they pay us in reality. That's what it looks like to outdo one another. That's what it looks like to begin to write a better story. People serving and honoring and loving each other in the context of this community. But don't let that whole idea stop here. Take that into your job. Take that into your family. Take that into your marriage. Take that into your friendships. What would it look like to outdo people out there who don't know Jesus in honor. You know what that would speak to them? That speaks volumes. Because it's really about relationship, about writing a story that's worth living. And the next thing I, I thought about was, you know, you know what else? What, what other principle can I give you? I thought about this. When you rent a DVD, a movie on a DVD, you know, you have the scene selection. And so you can go and you can pick, pick any scene that you want. Now, good movies have good scenes. Boring movies have boring scenes. But they're all made up of scene. And a good story is made up of memorable scenes. To write a better story, we need to begin to live memorable scenes. You know, the story, It's a Wonderful Life, the last scene in the movie. He's standing there with his family and people are just pouring in and they're just giving him money and they're just excited and they're just telling all these, these little stories about how, how they've been helped. And man, we heard you were in trouble, we're coming. It could, have been, it could have been that some bank guy just walked into their house and said, hey, people donated money, here's a check. But there was this memorable scene at the end of that. That was the one that grabbed hold of me. That's where I like cried like a baby. I didn't sob, I just had lots of tears. Okay, But, but, but it, was, it was an intense, intense scene and it was memorable and when you know what i found out when i think about that scene is those people didn't owe him any money they didn't have to come pay him it was because he decided to get involved in people's lives and create memorable scenes in their life that they now came to him when he was in need we need to become deliberate in writing memorable scenes into our life. I don't have a formula for you. I don't have any steps. I mean, you all got to figure out what that looks like. I am, I am trying to do this better and, and I'm more cognitive of it and I'm just trying to figure out what's it look like to create better scenes with, with Megan. Right now, our scenes consist of, did you do the laundry? No, can you do it, please? I mean, those aren't memorable. Well, they are, but it just makes her, makes her mad at me. You know, and, and, and I think about with Ethan in the morning, I'm, I'm trying, we, we play, we wait for the bus every morning. And so we, we come up with games. 
We play pinecone baseball with a stick and pine cones in the summertime. We play ice chunk hockey, which or uh, soccer, which really hurts when you kick an ice chunk with your foot. But anyway, uh, we've we've played um, you know sword fights, foot stomp, uh, red light, green light. Just just ten minutes of a memorable scene in his life. I don't know if it's going to ever be or accomplish it. I don't know, but we got to try. We got to be more deliberate in creating something memorable in our lives and in the lives of other people. Because when we create those scenes in the lives of other people, that's a story that's worth writing. That's a story that's worth telling. That is a better story. And this year, I want our focus to be, how do we write better stories as individuals? Because if we begin to do that, we will begin to write a better story with our church. That, that, that it can't help but infuse what you're living out there in here. We're going to have, this year, we're going to do four outside-the-wall events instead of, I think we did two last year. But we're, we've decided that we're not going to do just that outside-the-wall Sunday morning from, you know, 8 to 12. We want to make it an entire weekend of stuff where we can get outside the walls and be the church. And so the ministry leaders are getting together at the end of the month to figure out what does that look like? You want to start writing a better story? Maybe, maybe you get involved in that. Last week, Tim said, hey, we need help in the children's ministry. Maybe, maybe you begin to write a better story, honoring, outdoing one another honor by getting involved in that. We're in danger of not being able to go to the nursing home with our kids because we don't have the people to take them. And so can we write a better story in that context? We're going we're gonna to have a fair trade brunch in, in February. Everything has to be fair trade. Everything has to be, you have to understand and realize where it's come from. We want to start to be, practice some of the things we talked about in our Advent conspiracy. How do we write a better story by supporting companies that, that, that support their workers and treat their workers well? You'll find it will be very difficult to shop fair trade. But how do we, listen, justice, uh, living for justice, trying to, to seek out justice is always a better story. Last year, we gave away um, just about, I think, $10,000 of our budget to uh, two organizations. But we also gave away a little over $2,000 um, to, to different families that were in need. And so, and so once we, we asked for uh, you to, um, we, we asked for a collection and we gave money. We paid the condo fees of a family whose father was in a very bad truck accident and was burned. And we helped a church out. We gave money to a church. We helped another family out that just had, they were just under a lot of, of debt from, from just a lot of bad experiences and also some, um, some medical bills. But, but this year, you know what we want to do? And we're going to get to the budget. But as part of our budget, we want to introduce a new budget line, a benevolence line. So, so we don't have to take money out of here or there but, but we want to have money that we can be able to, extra money over and above what our budget is, but extra money that we can say, we've heard of this need and we want to meet it. We want to help because that begins to write a better story. It's time that we be the church. It's time that we be the story and not just sit and let it just pass us by. This is what God has been putting on my heart. How do we, how do you, each one of you begin in your own life to write that story? Memorable moments, outdoing others in honor, 
What does it look like for you? You got to do the work. You've got to figure it out. And even, even our budget, uh, we, we we're trying to even write a better story with, with our budget. And we're going to take a few more minutes. I want to just give you a heads up on how we came to this. It's on the website if you looked at it. Um, and, and, and we're just going to go over it really briefly. And then, man, you can go start living a better story. Our budget in 2009 was 83 or 87,000. $83,000. And, um, and that's what kind of, you know, we have a very simple budget because we're very simple folk. We meet at the Grange for Pete's sake. And so um, we, we kind of we laid this all out. And so at the end of the, uh, a couple months ago or a month and a half ago, myself and the elders and Anna, we sat down and said, okay, we need to create a budget for 2010. So we projected where we were going to finish in giving. And our giving was going to be around, we figured, about $106,000. So we had a budget of 83000 and we ended up, through the generosity of all of you, being, we're going to, we figured we'd finish at about 106000 So we said, okay, let's take that number. Let's just add 4% to it. And so we came up with a number of $110,000. We said, that's, that's our number. That's the budget number we're going to use. And so we sat down and said, okay, well, what do we want to do? And we started laying out all these things, and you can see them here. Um, guest speakers, we have insurances, we have a telephone, we have office expenses, we have our website, uh, we have ministries that we're giving money to. Um, we have actually professional development for me so I can get more professional on you all. Uh, we have, um, you know, my, my salary and stuff like that. We got used to eating. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, um, so we have, we have all of these things here. And we said, all right, let's just put numbers and put numbers. And we're going, I'm like, no way, man. Uh-uh. We're going to be like $190,000. It's not going to work. We got to the end and we were at about 110300 So we went, okay, well, let's just, Erase that 300, and we took it out of, I forget where we took it out of, and now we have a budget of 110,000. So at the end of the year, 2009, we finished in giving at about 109,000 and change, better than we expected. And so we had to make a decision. Do we take that number and go 4% over and then create a new budget or not? And I decided not because when we sat down, we're doing the things that we want to do. We, we, we put the money in. We said, these are the things that we want to do. And it just matched what the giving was last year. And so we're going to keep the $110,000 budget. We have things like $4,000 for outside the wall events. We have um, advertising. Ugh, I had to give over, get up, give, over, give over my pride about we're not going to advertise because that's, and, and maybe try to let people know that there's a little church that meets on the corner of Summit and Knowles. I don't know how we're going to do that yet, but, but we have things in there that we want to do. And, but we also want eventually not to stay here. Because as Amy and I were planning events for the year, we realized that, that the things that we want to do, we can't do everything here. We, we would love to be able to host outside the wall events inside the walls of our church, but we really can't do that. And so please, I'm asking you, don't get comfortable in your giving. We still need you to give. And this is my once a year spiel about giving. Okay, here it is. We still need you to give how God has put on your heart to give. I'm going to ask it that you would consider giving sacrificially. I don't want um, to box you in into some type of um, formula, but if, if God has put on your heart to give, 
to the ministries of the church, then please do so. You can give to the Benevolent Fund. If you want to um, give over and, and above what your normal giving is to the general budget, just put, put an amount on your memo and, and send that in. And we're going to, we're going to use uh, that money to help people in need because we're writing a better story. And so we're going to stay here for the year at the Grange. I get, you know, we've signed a lease. Um, if God moves us out, God will supply the funds to pay off the lease and, and go. We're not just going to leave them high and dry. Um, this, is, this has been a blessing of a church, but it's also now beginning to limit us into what we can do. But that's okay because God is a bigger God than that. And, 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 and you know, I look at it as we're limited to what we're going to do. And maybe God's going, you ain't ready to do nothing else yet. You just, you just be faithful in the little that I've given you and I'll handle the rest. And so that's, as a pastor, that's, that's what I fight with. And so if you have, um, oh, there, there's another thing. We have finished, um, right now we have about $21,000 in the bank, undesignated funds, whatever that means. I guess that's the proper term for it. We're going to take half of that money and we're going to put it into a CD and put it away for the future. I don't know what else uh, we would use it for, not yet anyway. We're going to do something with our video equipment um, we're going to try to get the duct tape ghetto feeling off the floor here a little bit. And um, so, so we're working in that. And uh, we're going to take some of that money also. And we're going to seed the benevolent fund a little bit with it so that we, could, um, we, we, can, we can give away money. We're going to still continue to tithe 10% of our budget. That's part of this budget. Um, and at $110,000, uh, that's not a bad tithe to two agencies. And so that's, that's where we are. But the focus, everything that we do, church, everything is about writing a better story. How do we become, how do we be the church and not just watch life pass us by? How do we create memorable moments in our lives, in the lives of other people? Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the blessings of 2009. Um, I am humbled, and I don't know why, but I'm, I'm surprised that you've been so gracious to, um, to this church, and, and, and I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for um, th- these people that, that you have brought to this place. That uh, Thank you for their love. Thank you for their support. Thank you... Um, that, that, that they're even open to hearing some rant about a better story when maybe they came to hear the Bible. I don't know. But God, I, uh, I, I want to follow you. We don't want to get ahead of you. We don't want to fall behind. We want to walk in step with you. So show us, lead us, let, give us a, a heart of discernment that we would begin to, even, to write even a better story in our lives, to, to engage the world in different ways, to, to love on people uh, more deeply, that we would make a difference. God, we want to make a difference for your kingdom. And so we recognize our need for you. We recognize your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.